follow along with us, turn to Romans chapter 12, okay? Now, this is our last week in an eight-week mini-series on uh, kind of a gospel ethic of love. What we said is that when we came into chapter 12, that we were going to take these eight weeks to talk about what does it mean in response to the gospel for you and for me, for any Christian in the room, to actually love, love well the way that Christ has loved us. Now, this is a pretty heavy calling, not an easy thing for us to do, and yet we know we're supposed to pursue it. And so we took eight weeks in this mini-series to just break down verse by verse, what are we being called to? What does that look like? And so here's the thing, in just verses 9 through 21, okay, just over the last six weeks of this series, what we've seen is over 25 commands for what it means to love well. Even in your Bibles, if you open up, you see right on top of verse 9, you'll see in bold letters, it says, the marks of a true Christian. Now, this is a pretty lofty goal, right? The marks of a true, this is what we want to aspire to, and then this is what it looks like. And so we get 25 commands in verses 9 through 21 alone about how a Christian is to love. Now, here's what's interesting about it, a little nugget for you. Of the 25-plus commands, almost two-thirds of them are about loving other people, Okay? So here's what often happens in culture, is our relationship with God, what it means to be Christian, has been reduced down to this individualistic piety, right? It's just about you and God. It's just about, okay, well, I do this with him. It's about him and me and nothing else. And so I hear this very often. I'll sit down with people and say, listen, you know, I don't need the church. I don't need other people. I'm good with just me and him. The only problem is, is the Bible, because two-thirds of the commands that you're given under marks of a true Christian, what it means for you to live out the implications of the gospel involve the people in this room and the people outside these walls. Two-thirds of the context for what it means for you to love Jesus and to be a Christian is with other people. And we're going to find, and we'll even land on this, that, man, the people in this room, the people in this world, allow us to live out this gospel ethic of love that we're called to. And so we need to cast this, I don't need other people, I don't need the church, I don't need, to the side, because there is, that's not the context for your faith that we find in Scripture, okay? And so today, as we, as we wind this thing up, we look at this last uh, gospel-centered ethic that we are to live out with other people. And let me say this, it is the most scandalous of the bunch, like of everything we've talked about, this idea that we'll talk about today is the most wild, is the most crazy, is the most out of left field that you will hear in the Bible. Okay. It, it, it's this idea that you're supposed to love everyone. Now, not too much of a shocker, right? Love everyone. So love uh, your family. Okay, I can do that. Love God, okay, check, got that, and no problem. Love the church, right? Love your brothers and sisters in this room, okay, I can do that one. Love, love the closest friends in your life, treat them well, okay, I can do that. But what we're being called to today is to go beyond all of that and then also love your enemy. I love your enemy. We're on board with loving the people that love us back but when it comes to loving someone who hates you, I think we fall short a lot. And yet the Bible calls us to it. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the biblical reality that you have people in your life that are against you? 
and, and some people to a greater degrees than others. I get that. But listen, you have people in your life who are against you or against what you believe in. How are you supposed to treat them? The answer is love. Every single time, the answer is love. And we're going to work that out today about what that really looks like. Okay, so verse 14 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's kind of the, the overarching idea here. And then 15 and 16, which we talked about last week, bring us into this humble understanding of this. First saying, okay, if we're supposed to love our enemy, we first have to humble ourselves because we will not do this if we think we're that great. If you are sitting here today and you have a very high view of yourself, you will never have a high view of your enemy. You'll never have a high view of the people in your life that don't like you because you will rise above and you will look down upon. That's just the way it is. So he gives us verse 14, okay? Bless those that persecute you. And then gives us 15 and 16, which we went over last week to say, man, you better be humble. You better check your heart. Because if you don't, this, listen, the rest of this, 17 through 21, it will be impossible. You will not make it. And yet we're still called to by scripture. Okay, so verse, uh, before we get to verse 17, Matthew 5, 47. This is not new for Jesus to share this with us. Okay, this is not new. Paul shares this with the Romans. Jesus shares this in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, okay. so you have heard, right? Love those close to you, but hate the enemy. But I tell you, love everyone, okay? Here's the issue. The people that are hearing hate your enemy are getting that from within. In other words, you will not find throughout the entire Old Testament, he's not quoting an Old Testament scripture here to say, hey, you read back in Leviticus to love your, na- love, love your friends but hate your enemy. You're not going to find that in the, in, in the Bible. It's not there in the Word of God. And so what he's saying is, okay, you've heard, in other words, you've taken the Word of God, distorted it, and made it your own. And I cannot think of a greater example of what we do in our culture today. We take the Word of God, and then we filter it through, I think this is what should be right. And so I will live according to my own personal interpretation and lens of what Scripture is calling me to. And that's a problem for us today. Because if I tell you, love your enemy, you're going to try and find excuses about why you shouldn't. Because it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's painful. And I fully get it. Like, I fully get that this is a tough, tough thing for us to do. I remember I was thinking about this this week. I remember when I was a kid, you know, you have these recurring dreams when you're a kid. And so I remember from, like, first grade on to like fifth grade for about four years, I had this same recurring dream, probably about three or four times a week. And here's how it went. I woke up in a classroom every time. And it was whatever teacher I liked the best, right? I'd wake up in the classroom and it was just me in there. Okay, so I know what you're thinking, left behind. That wasn't it. (laughs) Just me in the room, right? I look around, no one's there. I go and I peer out the window and terrorists have taken over the school. And not just regular terrorists, ninja terrorists, which are the worst kind, okay? And so here I am in the classroom, ninja terrorists outside, and I look and they have all of my friends, all of my faculty, all on the lawn, and they're all captured being held hostage. And on top of it, here's the cherry. The head ninja, right? He's holding Laura Tomaszewski in his arms with a blade. Laura Tomaszewski was a girl I was attracted to in second grade, okay? Um, (laughs) 
you're like, who's that? And it, it would change. The girl would change based on who was attracted to that given year, okay? And so here, here's the deal. Here's what I do. I immediately run out of the classroom and systematically take down the entire Terrace Ninja network and save the day, right? And here's the deal. From an early age, right, I'm literally six and I'm having these dreams. There was already this moment and this stuff in my heart of people are harming me, I'm going to get them. People are harming those close to me, I'm going to get them. They will have to pay from six years old. From six years old. And you even look even earlier. If you've ever been to a daycare, right? One kid steals a toy. What does the other kid do? Oh, yeah, totally take that. That's great. You want anything else? No, they punch the kid in the face. <laughs> if you were me, okay? Um, no, kids automatically, what, they yank it back. They yell at the kid. They tell on the kid, whatever. You must pay because you've wronged me. Listen, this has been ingrained in you since day one. Since day one, you've been about retaliation. I guarantee it. That's just how we're wired. That's why we have dreams like that as six-year-olds, because we want the wrong to be made right. And certainly that's a good thing, right? But in the midst of that truth, I think in the midst of that reality that the wrong should be made right, we still find this call, this gospel ethic that you are to love your enemy. And so what do we do with these two competing wrestling narratives? On one hand, I think it is right that we should want to set the wrong things right, but then also we're supposed to love our enemy. Holy cow, what a daunting task. This cannot be easy for us. He continues in Matthew 5, 45, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do this so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. In other words, listen, it's easy to love the people that love you back it gets exponentially more difficult to love those that don't. And so what I love about the Bible, it's just acknowledging a reality for us. I don't think anyone in the room right now is saying, well, that's not true. I have no problem doing that. No, the Bible calls, you out, calls us out and says, listen, this is, this is the reality of life. This is difficult. Going on more examples, right? You watch, you watch any movie and you always want what the hero to, to pay retribution back to the villain. Think about the movies and how different they would be. Okay, think, what if Harry doesn't kill Voldemort in the end, right? And some of you are thinking, well, he didn't really kill him because he was the seventh Horcrux. You know, don't do that. <laughs> he, kills, he kills Voldemort. Uh, what, what does that look like if he's just like, okay, Voldemort killed my parents, and then he just goes out and offers love and grace? What does that look like? It's a different story, Right? But and maybe that, and guess what? That's probably not a story we want to read. What, what, if, uh, what, what, if, what if Simba doesn't kill Scar? Right? What if you get to, yeah. What if you, what if you get to the end of Lion King and Simba's like, no, Scar, it's good. Let's go get a bite. Let's go chase a hyena together. No, it changes the story, right? You're just like, well, I, I don't know how to wrap my mind around this idea of forgiveness and grace that is undeserved. And here's the thing that we're going to find. That is, that is a primary reason why we don't understand how grace could be given to us and why we feel like we keep need 
keep needing to earn our love from Jesus. That's why, that's why when we sin, we feel, okay, we feel this pain and this brokenness inside. Okay, I need to do something so that he loves me again. Listen, that's not part of this because we don't understand grace and forgiveness because we can't even watch a movie and desire it. Best scene from any movie. Literally, in all of cinema, the best scene in any movie, and I don't care if you guys disagree with me, Gladiator, okay? <laughs> Curtis, hey! Gladiator, okay? Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, works his way back into the Colosseum where he's fighting in front of Commodus, the new emperor, who has killed his family, right? Murdered his wife and his son, burned his lance, betrayed him, the whole deal. And he comes down, Commodus comes down onto the floor. You guys remember the scene, right? And, and here's Maximus, and he has the helmet on, and he says, who are you? And he says, my name is Gladiator. And he says, that's not enough. Tell me your name. Turn around and face me. So Maximus takes off his helmet, right? And the crowd is astonished. And he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I wrote it down because I was going to (laughs) forget. Commander of the armies of the north. General of the Felix legions. And loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Right? And you hear that, and you're like, oh, get him. (laughs) Right? You're just in that moment. I feel my heart. We're going to kill Commodus. Murder. That's what we're doing. I don't think that scene comes in line with the demands that we find in Scripture today. And that's difficult for me. It's difficult for me to, to wrap my mind around about a, about a person, about a God who says, no, forgiveness first, love first, grace first, mercy first. I, I, don't, I don't have a context where that makes sense because when I see Maximus and I see the helmet come off, I wish he would stab him right there. Now, some of you are like, well, you're a jerk. (laughs) But a lot of you are like, no, I get that. What is this tension? What is this tension? And and let me ask you this. This is where we need to land, or this is where we need to figure out, not land. We're not anywhere near that. Uh, Who are we going to allow define for us what our ethic of life should look like? Will your ethic, will the way you live, will the way you treat others be defined by the present day culture or the word of God? And listen, that that is a question that must be asked almost at every corner of every stage of life. Are you going to allow culture to dictate this is how you should treat others or the living, true word of God? What God has said to us, hey, in the midst of it all, this is how you live. This is how you treat others. And so imagine that scene. He takes off the helmet and says, I forgive you. What do we do with that scene? That's exactly the scene in the story of the Bible. It's exactly the story of the Bible, guys. That Jesus was the one, right, that, that t- didn't take off a helmet, right, took off his cloak, took all of his glory and honor off of himself, came into this world, looked back upon us, and did not say, I will have my vengeance, but said, I will go to the cross for you. 
for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy, for hope, for reconciliation, for peace, on and on and on. This is the story of the Bible. And so we cannot say, well, maybe God had this idea, but did he really even back it up? He backed it up with his own life. And so this is not just some craziness that's impossible to happen. It's craziness that we see exemplified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to. But it distorts our entire worldview this morning. It distorts the way that we think we're supposed to be entitled to goodness and life and all these other things. But no, we're called to love. So let's break down what this looks like. Verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Okay, repay no one evil for evil. Okay, the first moment someone wrongs you, you want retribution. You want to, oh no, she didn't, right? You want to jump in and just be like, nah, I'm going to get you. Repay no one evil for evil. And here's how we combat this. Ready? Here's how we combat this. You think. Right? It's it's not this moment of just, okay, well, I'm just always going to do the right thing. It's think for a moment. Do not repay evil for evil, but think about what you could do that could be honorable in the sight of all. Here's what I think we do. I think, man, we are just so wound up and ready to react. We're like a coiled snake. And so when someone comes at us, we just go right back at them. What if we just stopped for a moment and when people attack us, when people come against us, we began to just say, you know what? Let me just, let me just breathe for a moment. Let me consider what the Holy Spirit might be saying. Let me consider what the Bible says. Let me just stop because I know in my own proclivity, I'm going to fight back. Just think. And then do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this is very difficult because honor is the opposite of shame. And what we like to do when people hurt us is shame them. We want them to feel less than. We want them to feel hurt that they hurt us. What we're being called to is to identify in them the glory and the honor that comes from being made in the image of God. That even when they hurt us, instead of just thinking, man, they're a jerk, maybe we would think for a moment they've been created in the image of God just like me and live and exist in a broken world just like me. And so maybe they make mistakes just like I do. What what if we began to think about these truths instead of just coil back and go at them? What if we began to love our enemies that way? Now, some of you might even be sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't, I don't really have enemies, okay? And, and in one sense, that's a good thing, right? Like, we, we shouldn't have a ton of enemies, a ton of people that hate you or dislike you, but the realities of this world is that you live on, based on one conviction. There is someone with another conviction that will not like what you do. Okay? We might not see that when we hear enemy, we always think of that baby that won't stop crying. Um, <laughs> love you, baby. Is that something? Is that mine? Is that mine? No? Bree? That's right, it's not mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always do this and forget what I'm saying. Um, where are we at? See, the reality is, is that when we think enemy, we often think of, right, the person we're at war with. Or, or the person that, for whatever, right, the, the person that stabbed you in the back. Right, so you, or, or, okay, you, you were dating a guy, you were dating a girl, and they, they cheated on you. Right? They're the enemy in this moment. Listen, so, so we always think of these grand things, these great enemies. But I tell you what, it's, listen, it's anything where you have someone or a thing, right, a whole culture pushing back on who you are and what you believe. And listen, that is rampant. 
I just remember a lot of you were college students, man. I remember I was a religious studies minor, and I remember sitting in the class in the first day in Professor Bonnie's class, who ended up becoming one of my favorite professors, but she says, listen, if you are one of those Christians in here that believe that you're going to heaven and I'm going to hell because that's what the Bible says, you should get the hell out of my classroom because we will not get along. And I was like, she comes around the class, says, I want you to say your name, your major, and if you want to, your religious affiliation. Yeah, it's an invitation. So I get up, I say, my name is Vince. I'm a communication major, because I want to go the easy route. And uh, no offense to communication majors in here, but it's true. (laughs) And a religious studies minor. And I'm a Christian. And I do believe the things that you speak of. But I still love you. (laughs) That's That's the way I said it. And, uh, and she, just, she just kind of nodded in, in disapproval, told me to sit down, and just you kind of knew there was this death stare throughout the whole thing. She was my enemy, right? She, dis- she disliked, did not believe, and was against everything that I held true. She was an enemy. I didn't fight her, right? But she was against me, against my faith system, against what I believed to be true about the world, those exist in your life, whether or not you realize it or not. You might not have acknowledged it yet, but those are there. Now, you need to love that person just like you love your best friend, okay? Whether they've hurt you, whether they're just against you, listen, that's there for you, whether or not you see it or not. So repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable, what will make them be reminded of that they are valuable in the sight of God and created in his image, not shamed because they've made a mistake, Verse 18, here we go. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So furthermore, okay, if it's, if it's up to you, and we get kind of two, if it's up to you, if it's not up to you, we'll get kind of both of these here. Live peaceably with all. We'll live without conflict, without brokenness, but even a deeper understanding of this word peace is this word shalom in the Hebrew, which says to live in a deep peace that declares everything is right with the world and as it should be. It's a completely different understanding of peace than we get. We often understand peace as, okay, well, America's not at war right now, which hasn't happened in a long time, but that's what we think of when we think of peace. That's not what's going on. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the entrance into the way the world was supposed to be. Tim Keller talks about this peace as being like a fabric and during the fall, right, when Adam and Eve disobey, this fabric was torn apart and it's now tattered and shredded up and now in our pursuit to love well, we slowly reweave the fabric of this creation, restoring relationship and life back to how it was supposed to be. So as it's up to you, if it's possible for you Try and live your life and love your enemy in a way that restores the broken parts of them and the broken parts of this world. Seek peace. That's if it's up to you, but here's the truth. It's not always up to you. There are going to be times where people will dislike you and be against you, and then they will still dislike you and be against you regardless of what you do, say, or act. It's just the way it's going to be. That's the way this world is worked. People fight with each other forever. There's always brokenness. You still love. You still love. You don't stop. You don't stop forgiving. There's no limit to this. You still love, and you still love, and you still love. 
even when it's not up to you, but don't always expect, don't have the expectation that peace is always going to be around you. In fact, especially as we look to our culture and the direction that things are often heading, and probably the reality is, is that less and less of this non-conflict type of peace will we find within Christianity and our relation to the culture. And we're seeing it all over the place. Right, there's going to come a day, and it's already working towards it, where me calling someone out in their sin, and it's, and it's, and it's any sin, really, will be labeled as hate speech. Right? There's, there's a trend that direction where we will not be able to be called, not able to call someone else out because of, man, you are impeding slander. It's all these different things. And so, man, we're going to get pushback on that. We're going to get pushback on significant issues. The church will come under attack. And guess what? Here's, here's the thing. Ready? Uh, this is just a nugget for you. I don't think it's a bad thing. I kind of wonder, man, what, what's, what's, a, what's the church going to look like when stuff actually starts to get hard? Maybe, just maybe, we'll return to that robust faith that we see throughout the early church when they had to fight for their faith. When they had to say, you know what, man, regardless of you coming at me right now, I am standing firm in the rock and cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It's coming. So we need to be prepared. And the best way to be prepared is just to love people really, really well and to begin to think about what that looks like, to find and recognize the honor and the glory that exists in other people, whether they're enemies or not, made in the image of God. Okay, very important for us. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So again, never avenge yourselves, leave that for, uh, for, for God. What Paul's doing is he's quoting here uh, Deuteronomy 32 in the song of Moses. Moses sings and exclaims the truths that God will come to avenge. And so all of the problems that the Jews are experiencing at the time in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is saying, listen, there's going to come a day when the God, the creator of this world, will avenge us. Will avenge, he will come in and he will do his thing. This is... This is good news to the people of God. Now, what we often want is for it to stop there. And, and I know even as I say that, some of us are like, wait a minute, I don't want, I don't want people to, to be avenged. Right? I, don't want, I don't want calamity to come upon people. But I tell you what, in the moment when someone's hurting you, you do want wrong for them. And that's just the reality of how our hearts work. And we need to fight that. So I think the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us wish that we stopped here at verse 19, that, man, we would just, God, okay, you know, I can deal with the hurt, and I can deal with the pain, I can deal with the fact that someone's coming against me, because I know down the road God's going to take care of this, so I'll let it go. But God doesn't stop there. God goes to verse 20, and he says this, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals in his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is, again, we see this in Matthew 25 as Jesus teaches, and he's talking about himself. He's saying, this is how you love the world. And then his disciples say to him, well, Jesus, when did we ever do this for you? And he said, I tell you what, as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. 
As you fed the beggar, you were feeding me. As you brought drink to the homeless, you were giving me drink. As you brought in the one who had no home, you were giving me shelter. And so over and over we get this beautiful, neat idea that God, and oh, that we are serving God in the midst of serving others. And so we've talked about this idea as it relates to the way that we treat our family and our friends and our church and the people that we like. But man, when we extend that now to the enemy, this takes a whole nother deal for us. It just gets harder. Not only don't repay people, not only don't just think and not, and not just jab back at them, but you know what? Go the next step and actually love them beyond it. Someone hurts you, not only don't hurt them back, but bless them. Do something for them that they would love. Man, Jesus is tough. Man, this is hard. And I think what happens is we get bogged down by the weight of the expectation that all of a sudden we're supposed to love like this. And so then that's when we begin to tweak little things here and there and say, well, he didn't mean it like that. Or, you know what, you, you don't know how much this person has hurt me. Or you don't know how much this group has come against my group. Or you don't know. And here's the, here's the thing. You're right, I don't know. And so I'm up here just giving you this. Listen, I don't know what the enemies in your life are, how bad they've been, what they've done to you. I don't know any of that. But here's what I do know. Is that God does, and he still wrote this. Okay? What I do know is that God knows every person and everything that has ever come against you. Every hurt, every pain, every trial. And yet in the midst of it, him fully knowing all of your brokenness, all of the pain you would experience, still tells us, love your enemy, love your enemy, bless your enemy, do not persecute your enemy. That's what he gives us. And he knows full well. And so we have to then again wrestle with this truth. I've been hurt, but God says something better. Do not be overcome with evil. And that's what often happens as you hold malice and negative intent for others. You are the one that's overcome with evil. You're the one who's overcome with pain. You're the one who's overcome with brokenness. When all of this, let it go, move into the burden that Christ has given us to forgive and to love, that that light would be lifted off, that that burden would be lifted off off of us and his burden taken on, which is light and beautiful. Okay, these are hard truths but it's just what he gives us. A couple stories, and we'll wrap up. Um, one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen of this, okay? Um, and you can go and watch this clip on YouTube. It's a, there was a serial killer called the Green River Killer, okay? I think he murdered, like, between 15 and 20 women over the span of some years up in the, in the Pacific Northwest, okay? And this man was c- captured, brought to trial, and he's standing there, and what happened is they allowed all of the victims' families to come before this guy and to parade in front of them person after person after person just lays into this guy, right? It's like, man, you, you are an animal. I hope you burn in hell. I hope you rot. You're a terrible person. I mean, I mean a lot of, lot of choice words. I mean, just going at it. And this guy's stone cold, stone face. Not a motion ever comes up. And then here comes this guy. And I tell you what, and I'm not, you watch the clip, I'm not, it's Santa Claus. Like, (laughs) I'm serious. Go and watch. 
Santa, big belly, huge white beard, you know, Cole, um, walks up to the microphone, looks at him, and in tears, says to this serial killer that took his daughter, Sir, you have made it very hard for me to do what I know I'm supposed to do, and that is to forgive you. You are forgiven, sir. And the moment he says this, this serial killer with zero breaks down in tears and begins to weep in the courtroom. When nothing else could break it, the thing that did was love. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with love. It's those type of stories and this last one that I'll share that show us why not only is this possible, but it's the way. It is the way forward for the Christian. This other story is about a creator who made everything in the world. He made man, he made woman. And shortly after this creation, they decided that they knew better than what they had been told. And so they rebelled and they disobeyed And they did something they would not and should not do. So sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, those who used to be his family became enemies of God, the creator. Man now finding themselves with enmity between themselves and God. Pain, brokenness, enemies. And so here's... Here's what God should have done. Here's what the creator should have done. He should have, that's it. You're done. I tried, you disobeyed, it's over. Instead, he begins the greatest rescue mission that this world has ever seen. And he begins to set up this story and call a people to himself that would lead to the hero coming to this world. Jesus Christ being humbled to live a life of perfection that we could not live, to go to a cross and die the death that each of us deserved to die, and then was raised in the third day to prove new life could be found in himself. Here's the truth. Listen, if you're here, Christian or non, at some point in your life, you were an enemy of God. God looked at you and said, you're against me. You're my enemy. You dislike me. You hate me. You curse me with your life, with your actions, with your words. You're my enemy. And listen, that's scripture. We were enemies of God. And yet here's what God does. Instead of killing us off like we probably deserved, he says, you know what? I'm going to keep dealing with the fact that you will keep beating me. You will keep denying me. You will keep throwing me under the bus. You will keep parading me in front of culture and saying all of these negative truths about who I am, but in the midst of it, I'm still coming. And I'm going to bear that weight because I realize you could not bear it for yourselves. And in fact, I'm going to go all the way to the point of death that you could find restoration in me. This is possible because God once saw us enemies but now considers us friends, now considers us family because of Jesus Christ. 
because of his sacrifice. And so here's what we're called to now. In light of that truth, in light of the fact that we were once enemies, now brought in because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we now live lives of sacrifice unto him that the world may know this God is still calling, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come and believe because in me is life. That's, that's what we do because we were once enemies and yet we've been brought back into the family, okay? And so we can live this thing out as hard as it is. So here's what we're gonna do. Application. Everything we've talked to, or talked about in the last eight weeks, all the ways to love well, you need to now extend that to the people in your life that are hurting you and breaking you, okay? Now, there's questions and nuances in the midst of this. You know, I, listen, and, and especially with stuff, and I want to address it just for a moment, okay? Because I don't want to, I want you to mishear me. There's certainly a lot of issues in the news right now about like domestic abuse and things like that. What this is not saying is, hey, if you've got a guy who's beating you, that you should stick around. That you should say, hey, love you, I'm going to keep letting Listen, that's not, and I want to say that because it's just all over the news, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear that that's what the Bible's saying. No, there is always a response. And sometimes that response is, I'm out of here. But in your heart, find forgiveness. Find a way. Okay, and I just want to share that. Okay. Everything that we've studied over the last eight weeks in this little mini love series, right? Um, Extend that to those in your life that you would consider against you or an enemy. Okay. And it's it's not easy. And then secondly, um, the only way outside of, you know, Holy Spirit, we need Jesus, we need to understand the gospel, to do this well is to have some allies, okay? You cannot fight this battle on your own. No war is ever won unilaterally. Get some allies. In other words, get into community. If you're here and you have not people in your life that you can grow and walk with as you try and navigate the demands of Scripture in a complex world, if you're doing that by yourself, you will fail today. Get some people around you. Get into community, whether that's here, you don't even come to this church, you're just visiting, whatever. Find a biblical community of men and women that can encourage and spur you on to continue to live this gospel ethic in the midst of how hard it is. That will keep pointing you to Jesus when you just want to look to yourself. Okay. I know this is tough, but my hope is, is that we continue to just to see in the midst of the hardness of what we're called to we would just realize more and more that's exactly what Jesus Christ, our Savior, went through in order that we could be brought back in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for scandalous ideas like this. God, that as hard as they are, they just help remind us of just what you did. If you just called us to just be nice people and do that because you were nice to us, I think, God, what what good news are we celebrating? God, and so I repent of my own just disbelief in in the moments I forget of all of you forgiven me for. And all the times, every single day that I've done things against your name, God, both in word and deed and thought. 
God, I confess all of my brokenness to you. And I thank you that, God, you never stopped pursuing me. That you still came and you still died and that you convicted my heart to see you clear. And so Lord, I pray for those in the room, God, who love you. God, would they have a greater understanding today of what it meant for you to do what you did. That you lived and died for your enemy. God, and that would move us all to then serve and love our enemy that we experience today. God, and I pray for those even in the room, God, who um, still sit in this reality of distance from God, what the Bible calls an enemy. Lord, and I pray for your grace and your mercy and your hope and your peace to overwhelm them, for them to understand that, God, in light of, in spite of our brokenness, you still came, and that you love them, that you wish not to shame them, but to honor them through Jesus Christ, their Savior. So, Lord, save today, convict us today to look more like your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.